Thanks for listening to the Grace Hill Podcast. We hope you enjoy this week's message. For more information about Grace Hill, follow us on social media at gracehill901 or visit gracehill901.com. You know, irrational sports or irrational human behavior, you'll find some very, very interesting stuff. Actually, most of those clips were pulled from something like that. But in the final hours, in the final days of the life of Jesus, by human accounts, he said and did some of the most irrational things known to man. You may be wondering, well, irrational, that sounds a little extreme. What do you mean by that? Well, the definition of irrational is this. The definition is not logical or reasonable. And if you read the story of Jesus, and if you read the story of Jesus in those last few days, you see some of the things that Jesus did and you just go, wow. And I hope if you're a follower of Jesus, you you read that story uh, much like how I'm reading a story right now. I'm reading a book uh, on the history of Stax music, the history of Stax studio. This is coming kind of right in the the heels of the 50th anniversary of the assassination of Dr. Martin Luther King. And and I've just been awestruck by the stories that have come out of this book over the last few weeks as I've read it. And one of the themes that you look at when you look at the music of Stax birthed right here in Memphis, Tennessee, one of the things that you cannot do is you cannot separate the music from the movement. The, the music that was taking place in the mid-60s, really all through the 60s, the music that was taking place was birthed out of and because of and projected towards the civil rights movement. You really cannot separate those two things when you listen to that music. And, and so much of the behavior of people that were fighting for civil rights So so much of that behavior and their actions, when you read about it in story or you see about it in a documentary, putting their life at risk, putting their family in harm's way, putting their finances at risk because they, they protest and they strike unfair wages, you look at some of that behavior and you just think to yourself, wow, it seems a little irrational in a lot of ways because it's not logical. It doesn't make sense. Why would you do this? And what's interesting about the civil rights movement is on one side of the argument, you have uh, uh, behavior like that that can inspire you, doesn't it? It it inspires you to think about the, the, the fight for someone's life and someone's value beyond their skin color. But what's interesting is the same moment in time, the same event in history, you can have on this side, you can have behavior that is still irrational. But it's not inspirational. It's actually very appalling. Because the fight against someone because of their skin color, the fight against someone because of their upbringing and their education and their background, the fight against someone because of Civil, systemic problems. It's irrational, but it is very much appalling. But I think as we look today and then next Sunday, as we look at the life and the events of Jesus, and we're going to jump right into today, we can all come around these events of Jesus, our Savior, 
And while his actions may seem irrational, they are certainly inspiring. So if you have a Bible or your version app, if you want to track with me there, you can go to Matthew 26 is where we're going to spend much of our time today. And what I want to do is I want to set the scene a little bit for the story that we're jumping in. Have you ever walked into somebody's house and they're like in the middle of the, a, 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 a series and they're like in the middle of the season of the series and they've got it on and you're familiar enough with the series that you kind of know the characters but you have no clue the context. Well, that's kind of what's happening here. We're, we're jumping right into the middle of a night, right into the middle of a story, right into the middle of the drama. And so I want to set the stage just for a, a little bit so we can catch up. Jesus has just finished this Passover meal with his closest friends. And he is closing in on the last hours of his human life here on earth. He's closing in on those last few moments that he has to speak truth, to speak hope, to speak life, and to model it. And everything about this night for these Jewish men has been different. This has been a ritual and a routine for all of their life, and tonight Jesus has flipped the script, and he is going to continue to do that as the night progresses. Everything in their life and everything in Jesus' world was about to be turned upside down because of the actions and the posture and the decisions that Jesus, our Savior, made. So Matthew 26 as we jump in, right here in the, uh, the middle of the passage, verse 36, Jesus is going to this place. He's leading his disciples to this place called Gethsemane. And the story picks up right here. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And the word Gethsemane means oil press. And when you think about how you, you would press oil or the Mount of Olives, maybe in some of your translations it may say, As you think about the pressure to extract the oil, you you cannot help but think that the imagery, the metaphor here is, is just, it's a little too ironic. That Jesus is about to step into this, this pressure, and he's about to be pressed, and his life is about to be ended here on earth. And Jesus leads his closest friends and followers to this place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And the literal Greek translation here, if you you read it, the literal Greek translation here is grieved and anxious. Jesus began to be grieved and anxious. And I'll be honest, that was a little comforting for me. I don't know if it's comforting for you or not, But it was a little comforting to me to read that this week, to see those words, and to know that our Savior, when he faced his biggest trial, when he faced his his hardest night, he was grieved and he was anxious. And what's interesting to see is his response to this anxiety and grief. It's often the opposite response that I may have. I tend, when I'm struggling in my life, relationally, personally, emotionally, whatever, I tend to isolate myself. I I tend to cut people off. I, I tend to sort of recluse a little bit. And it is interesting that our Savior did the exact opposite. 
He didn't isolate himself. And what did he do? He went away to pray. And watch how this story unfolds. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. My soul is overwhelmed to the point of sorrow, to the point of death. Some of you in this room have experienced tremendous loss in your life family members, loved ones, and and you see those words and you relate to those words maybe differently than someone else who's maybe never experienced that kind of sorrow and grief in their life. You you see those words and and those words hit you a little bit differently than than maybe the words that, 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 that someone else next to you, when they hear those words and they've never experienced anything like that. And watch what Jesus does. Watch what Jesus says. This is so profound and so powerful. Jesus says this. He says, stay here and keep watch with me. Now again, the word watch there in the Greek is literally translated out. It says to be alert. And your translation may even say that. To be alert. Stay here and be alert. And I don't think anything, I don't think any words are coincidence of Jesus. I think this choice of words by Jesus is very, very important. Because you know what I would have said in this moment? I would have said, stay here and keep watch for me. You, You stay here, friends, buddies, my closest companions. You stay here and you keep watch for me because Jesus did know what was coming. He he did know what awaited him. But, but I would have been tempted to say, you stay here and keep watch for me. I'm going to go pray. But Jesus didn't do that, did he? Jesus said, you stay here and keep watch with me. He connected the two, didn't he? He turned prayer into a weapon for the soul in that moment. And he said, you guys may sit out here and keep watch with me by keeping watch and staying alert and seeing what's on the horizon and seeing what may come, but I'm going to go and I'm going to keep watch with myself because I'm going to go pray. He did not disconnect those two. He kept those two connected. And it just got me thinking, what would happen in our church, in our homes, in our lives, If prayer and community became every Jesus follower's default, it became their first line of defense when grief and anxiety and the weight of the world came on us. And Jesus said, you keep watch. I'm going to go pray. You keep watch while I pray. You keep watch with me. There's a family in our church right now that I found out this week, they're facing, and they've been facing some health challenges and some crises in their life. And, and they're the family that, that when the phone rings, you know there's, an, there's a health update coming. And Thursday the phone rang and I answered it and there was a long delay. And any of you who have done any pastoral care, grief counseling, any of that, you know that more than likely, it's not because the phone got disconnected. 
It's more than likely it's because the person on the other end of the phone is trying to drum up enough strength to tell you some of the darkest news that they're facing in their life. And I said the lady's name, and her voice was trembling, and she said, we're going to the doctor. We're not sure what's going on. And we had a brief conversation because they were in the car on the way going to the doctor at the time to find out there had been some symptoms that had come back around again and they were hoping that maybe it was just you know some muscle pain but they weren't for sure and so the doctor said hey come on in and some of her last words to me on the phone or Thursday were this she said I'll know more when the doctor calls me And I asked her, I said, what do you mean by that? She said, if the doctor calls me Monday or Tuesday, it's bad news. If the doctor calls me Wednesday, Thursday, or Friday of next week, it's good news. So then on Friday, I was out doing some yard work late in the afternoon. And when the phone rang again, and it was that same family's name that showed up on my caller ID, I knew it was bad news. And here was what was so powerful through all of the emotion and through all of the uncertainty. The very first words that she uttered out of her mouth is, Jason, the cancer is back. We need people praying. Those were the very first words that she said. You know what she's saying in that moment? She's saying, we need people to keep watch. We we need people to watch with us and be on this journey with us. We need people praying. And Jesus gives us this model. He gives us this model as a church. He gives us this model as life groups. He gives this model as people who are following Jesus. Get your people together and pray. And the actions and the events that unfold in the next few verses are un, they're still unbelievable to me. And here's a little side note. I'm getting off my notes right now. This was actually the Easter series we were going to do last year. I, we built this whole series. It was going to be a three-week series, going to lead up to Easter. It was going to conclude with this week was going to be uh, 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 irrational obedience. Next week was going to be irrational forgiveness. We were looking at the whole thing, and we punted it for the, if you guys remember, the Easter egg series last year. I've been living with this content for over a year, and it is still unbelievable to me to read the next few verses that come out of Jesus' mouth and what he models for us and the significance and the power of it. Watch these words. Verse 39, going a little further, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, my father, if it is possible, And the significance of that, again, is just so powerful. Because we know that with God, all things are possible. And yet Jesus still here said, Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. And I would have just stopped right there. Totally transparent. I, I, if it was me, I just, eh, I'm going to stop right there. If it's possible, take this cup from me. And this is where Jesus steps into being unbelievably irrational. He says this, yet not as I will, but as you will. 
Father, if it is possible, Father, if there's any other way, Father, if there's something else that can be done, yet not my will, but yours be done. And can you imagine this scene with me for just a minute? Jesus, the the Savior of the world, the creator of all things, he's so grief-stricken and so full of anxiety that he falls to the ground. And can you imagine with me for just a minute the hands that spread out creation touched the created ground that he made to catch himself. And he was so struck with grief and anxiety And he prayed these words. He prayed these words. There's our word again. Father, Father, if there's any other way. And we read that, maybe if you're not a follower of Jesus or you're not familiar with the story, you go, well, you know, maybe there was another way. You know, this is a logical question. But here's the thing, Jesus knew why he came. He knew why he stepped out of heaven and into earth. This was not some open-ended question that he hoped maybe God would just step in and just say, hey, yeah, we'll, 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 we'll go with plan C or plan B, whatever. Now, Jesus knew the answer to this question. And yet, still two more times, he went back to the Father and he prayed a very similar prayer in verse 42 and verse 44. And as I've read this, this verse over and over and over again, I just couldn't help but think about the power of Jesus' words that he prayed in this moment. When Paul wrote the words in Colossians 1, Paul said this in Colossians 1. He said this, the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for in him all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things. And in him all things. In him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood on the through his blood shed on the cross. And so the creator falls to the created crown and catches himself with the hands that he created. And he says, Father, if there's any other way, let this cup, the same cup, I'm sure that maybe flashed through his mind in that moment that he had just held up to his followers, not minutes or maybe hours before, and said, this cup now symbolizes my blood poured out from you. As often as you drink of it, remember me. And Jesus falls to the ground, and he says, if there's any other way can this cup pass from me. If there's any other way. And if you fast forward a little bit more in the story, you see this this behavior, these decisions 
continue to unfold that just continue to just shock me. Watch what happens just a few verses later. This is after Jesus has gone back two other times and prayed a very similar prayer. And if you want a little bit of homework this week, go back and read verse 42 and watch how he shifts his prayer just a little bit. And dig into that and see the nuance between verse 42 and his first prayer that he prayed. But moving on, it says this, verse 50. Then the men stepped forward. This was the the people that were coming to arrest Jesus. Then the men stepped forward, seized Jesus, and arrested him. With that, one of Jesus' companions reached for his sword, drew it out, and struck the servant with the high, of the high priest, cutting it off his ear. And then Jesus said these words, put your sword back in its place. Jesus didn't need violence in this moment. Je- Jesus didn't need anybody to defend him. Jesus didn't need anybody to come to his rescue. He had the situation exactly where it was intended to be. Jesus said to him, for all who draw the sword will die by the sword. And then this is what makes the prayer of Jesus so unfathomable unfathomable that he prayed just a few verses earlier. He says this, do you not think that I can call on my father? There's that word again. In another translation, I actually like the way another translation says it better. It says, appeal to my Father. Do you not think I can call or appeal to my Father? And he will at once put at my disposal more than, more than, catch that, more than 12 legions of angels. But then, But how then would the scriptures be fulfilled that say it must happen in this way? A legion, if you don't know, a legion would have been very, very familiar when when Jesus said these words in front of this group of people. We we read this today and we're like, was that American legion? Is is that like, what's going on with a legion? What does that mean? But in that context, in a Roman-ruled context in that moment, that would have more than likely struck fear into the heart of many of the men there, because Jesus is saying this, a legion was roughly about 6,000 men. And Jesus is saying, do you not know that I can appeal to my Father? And the number for, in case you're not a math whiz, 12 times 6 is 72. And Jesus is saying here, do you not know that at my asking, I can appeal to the Father? And he would put at my disposal more than 72,000 angels. Now, if my life was on the line, you better believe I'm coming up swinging. Whatever resource I've got available to me, man, it's, I mean, if I got a pencil in my pocket, I mean, I'm, I'm like, you know, I'm, if my life's on the line, man, I'm using every available resource I have And Jesus in this moment, and the irony, it is so interesting to me how Scripture connects these moments. This is the very end moments of Jesus' life here on earth. And Jesus was announced with angels. The angels brought good news. 
at the birth of Jesus Christ and here at the end of his life, the angels are being used to say, hey, I could do this. I could come and rewrite the story. I could come and rewrite the script. I could come and give a completely different ending to this and I'm not going to do it. It was irrational obedience. So here's a couple of things if you're taking notes. You can write these down. First thing is this. This was an obedience that could have never been accomplished by humanity. You and I do not have the ability to obey to this end. It doesn't matter how long you've been following Jesus. It doesn't matter how long you, you think you've, you know, or how well you think you would do in this moment. This was an obedience that could never be accomplished. One person sacrificing their life for all of humanity. It could never be accomplished by anyone here on earth but Jesus. You and I do not have the ability. We would not have the ability. We would not be willing to surrender our power and our will and our authority in this way. Some of you, you have power in your job. You have people that report to you. You own a company, you run a company, you lead a department, whatever it may be. And, and, and I know what, whatever little bit of power you have more than likely, you wouldn't be willing to surrender any of that unless it was moving up to a little bit more power. And yet Jesus in this moment says, I'm surrendering my power. I'm surrendering my will. I'll illustrate it in this way. Last week, I put the challenge out there that one of the proven ways to grow in your faith as a follower of Jesus Christ, and let me say this for you, for everybody in the room, I cannot own your own spiritual growth for you. I cannot do it. One of the proven ways, the best way to grow in your walk with Jesus is to wake up a little early every morning and read a little bit in this book. There is no better way. And I put out a challenge last week. I said it was at the end of the message. What would happen in our homes, in our lives, our marriages, our church, if we all came around this idea? And whether it was two minutes or 20 minutes or two hours, and we began to read God's word every day together. And it would be interesting to see how many people were actually willing to do that who say they're followers of Jesus Christ. And being obedient to God's word, reading God's word, is, is a, it's a mark of being a follower of Jesus. And, and yet most of us, many of us, don't have the ability to even be obedient in the simplest of things. There was no way we could be obedient to this point. And yet, there was one who was able. And yet, there was one who was able. And his name was Jesus. His name was Jesus. What I could not do, he did for me. What you could not do, he did for you. Where I was disobedient, he was obedient. Where I would not surrender, Jesus surrendered. Where I would not give up whatever little power I think I possess or you possess, Jesus surrendered it all to the Father. He was the one that was able. 
And I love the idea that he surrendered his will, not my will, but yours be done. Because all through scripture in Jesus' ministry, what do we see? We see people coming to Jesus and they say, I have a dead loved one. I have a sick person. We need to feed these people. And it was Jesus' will. It was the will. I, I, I will do this. I will use my power to raise this person from the dead. It was his will that did that. It was his will that raised five, uh, that, that, that fed 5,000 plus people. It was his will that called 12 outcast men and use them to change the world. And here's what's amazing. It's his will that invites us into that same movement and that same story. There was one that was able. And his name was Jesus. You see, we don't have the power. We don't have it. Not in that way. The power to surrender our will, the, 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 the power to, to, to sacrifice our life for all of the world. Most of the time it's a daily challenge just for me to sacrifice my own will for my family. And we don't possess this kind of power, yet we won't surrender our will. Isn't that amazing? Jesus had the power. He, he had the authority. Yet, he fully surrendered his. So this morning, I, I don't know where you are in your walk with Jesus. You could be far from him. You could be near to him. But this is a story and a moment that we're all invited into the irrational obedience of Jesus Christ. Because see, you can't work hard enough, you can't come to church enough, you can't fight that one addiction in your life enough to earn your way back to God. And if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, I would warn you and caution you and maybe hopefully stir up a little bit of you know, emotion in your life or a sense of urgency in your life. If you hear the gospel, if you hear, I could not do, and yet he did for me, and it does not stir you in some way with gratitude. Maybe the healthiest thing for you today is just to simply say, Jesus, what, what is going on in my life? The gospel seems like a, a, near a far off story for me, not a near reality that shapes and changes my world. But for every single one of us that are in this room today, and for every single person who has gathered across churches all over the world today, and for every single person who will walk back in the door of a church next week for the first time in a very long time, and for every single person who chooses to stay home and sleep in and not do something like this in a gathered sense with other followers of Jesus, the irrational obedience of Jesus is what causes and gives us hope. Because we were not able. And yet he was. Let's pray together. Jesus, we love you and we thank you. There are absolutely no words to describe 
And so today, I just pray that the posture of our lives, the posture of our heart, the, the posture of our worship, I pray that it would show you the gratitude that we have in our life. Thank you for surrendering your will so that our eternity could be changed forever. We love you in Jesus' name.